Do you know what the most common uh, medical symbol is, uh, Eitan? The most common medical symbol. Yeah. What's, what's yeah. the most common medical symbol? So in this week's uh, parasha, about the Jewish people, they are bit by snakes, right? And there is a... Uh, I thought it was a green plus sign, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem, what should we do? They're being bit by snakes. And Hashem says they should put up a copper snake. Everyone will look up at the copper snake and they'll be healed. Look at the copper snake and you're healed. And the question is, why looking at a copper snake, what does that have to do with anything? Like, what does that mean? Look at a copper snake and you get better. What, what does that mean? So that's what the Talmud says, like Eitan says. The Talmud says that, that it wasn't about looking at the, the snake, it was looking at the sky. The snake was up and they should look at Hashem and they should dedicate themselves to God. It wasn't about where they were looking with their eyes. So where they're looking with their hearts, they should dedicate themselves to God. That does not answer the question. Because tell everybody, tell everybody to do teshuva. Tell everybody to return to God. Tell everybody, look, oh, look, look at the sky. Look at the sky. Why look at a snake? What's the meaning of the snake? You know the answer? He's saying it's like a vaccine. Vaccine. All right. I'm not. I'm not. not and I, I, I. There's probably some merit to what you're saying. I'll tell you another, another, another explanation, which is, which, which, which is more, which is, I think, will help us a lot in our lives as well. This week, this coming week, is anniversary of the liberation of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. The previous Rebbe was arrested in Russia uh, in the time of uh, the, the worst time of the communist regime because of his efforts to spread Torah and Judaism throughout the Soviet Union. I didn't know this. My great-grandfather, he was arrested for 13 months because he was teaching Torah on the ground. And he was arrested. I didn't know the details. There's now a book came out about him. And he was arrested. He was tortured for 13 months for teaching Torah. That was his crime. So the, the KGB, NKVD, the GPU, they all knew that all this has a source. All of these different schools and the mikvahs throughout the entire Soviet Union, it's coming from somewhere. And they traced it all. It's coming from the Rebbe. The Rebbe is the one who's orchestrating all of these schools. It was only one. There were, there were religious Jews in Russia before before, before uh, Stalin. But once Stalin came to power, there was no one who was teaching Torah underground, only the previous Rebbe. And they arrested the previous Rebbe. The previous Rebbe describes his time in Spalerke. Spalerke is a t- notorious prison. It makes our American prisons look like Ganeidin. It look like really like a wonderful place to hang out in. And they're not Ganeidin. I've been into many prisons. They're not Ganeidin by any means. But compared to Spalerke, it's like a five-star you know, hotel. So, so the previous time in, in, in Spalerke, and he makes the following comment in his diary. You have to read the diary. You haven't read the previous time diary, you're missing something in your life. It's called The Heroic Struggle. It's a book about his, his experience there. It will give you a whole... will give you such a wealth in life. Anyways, in one, in one of... Uh, segment of his diary, he writes about how he knew the time. He knew the time because the KGB guards would do various things at different times of the day. They would take all the prisoners out for a walk around the yard. They would serve them hot water. They would do different. They do a roll call based upon what they did. He knew exactly what time it was because everything was done with military precision. And he said that he felt in prison like Moses on Mount Sinai. How do you feel like Moses? Why do you feel like Moses on Mount Sinai? He says, because the Torah says that Moses on Mount Sinai did not know the time. There's no clocks in heaven. There's no clocks there. How did Moses know what time it was? 
He heard the song of the angels. When the angels said Kadosh, by the way, you know, why, you know why Moses wanted to know what time it was? Why do you want to know the time? He wanted to know the time because he's supposed to learn the written Torah in the daytime and the oral Torah at nighttime. So he wanted to know what time it was, to know what part of Torah to study. While he's there for 40 days and 40 nights, he needs, needs to know what, what time it is. So he listened to the song of the angels. When the angels said Kadosh, 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 that's obviously a song which is daytime. Do, why is it obvious? Whatever. It's a good question. That's a different subject. Then, but, was, but you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. When the angels said Baruch Hashem Kamo, they said the other song, he knew it was nighttime. So the previous Rebbe said he in prison, he felt the same way as Moshe Rabbeinu. He felt exactly the same way because he also knew the time from the way the KGB guards were doing their things. So the obvious question is, it's like comparing not just apples to oranges, it's comparing the lowest point of hell to the highest point of heaven. He is in the lowest, worst possible place you can imagine in the world. And he's comparing himself to Moshe Rabbeinu being in heaven with God and the angels. How is he comparing these two scenarios? And the answer is, is that for a tzaddik, for someone who is as holy as him, he saw through all of the, the screens and all of the concealments that were going on around him, and he felt whatever was happening to him was only by Hashem's hand. And that's the explanation of the snake. The Jewish people were being bit by snakes in this world. But they weren't really being bit by snakes. It was really God. Everything was happening to them was coming from God. So they had, in order for them to be healed, the first step of being healed is realizing that what's happening to you is coming from Hashem. That's the first step of being healed. Even though it's a snake that's biting you. But in order to be healed, you have to realize it's not the snake that's biting you. It's really what's happening to you is good, because it's coming from a good father. Now, it sounds like a very sour thing to say, but let, let, we'll, we'll go further. Well, hold on a second. The, the, the previous Rebbe, at one point, when he was imprisoned, most famously, a, he was in prison many times. The previous Rebbe actually once said that anybody who was, in, who was living in Russia at that time, you know, a normal thing would be to go to prison. That's just, that, that shows you're really showing up. That really you're show, if you're Orthodox, you're in prison. You know, that, that's the way it is. So, so, but someone said, told the previous Rebbe, well, that's going to prison once. Going to prison twice, that's like arrogant. So the previous Rebbe started to laugh. He said, I was in prison seven times. So anyways, when one of his imprisonments, a KGB guard put his pistol to the Rebbe's head. And he said to him, this toy is a way of making people speak. And the Rebbe responded, this toy can only make someone speak if they have one world and many gods. But for someone who has one god and two worlds, this toy does not mean a thing. Neither the person or the demon has ever been born or ever will be born that can move him from his principles. That's what he said. And that's, and that's, that's he, nothing happened to him. But what, he said something. He said two points. He said if for a person who has one God and two worlds, this does not mean a thing. Why do you emphasize one God and two worlds? Two worlds make sense. Because if there's only one world, all you have is the here and now. And once you lose the here and now, you're gone. But why did he emphasize the meaning that there are uh, one, that there's one God. Why do you emphasize this? Say there's two worlds, so therefore, I'm not so frightened about your pistol because your pistol is only about this world. But why do you emphasize that there's one God? Why is that insignificant? If you have many gods and you're more frightened? And the answer is yes. If, if you have many gods, then you're frightened. Because some people believe in two different forces. They believe that there's good things that happen from the good God. Then there is some other terrible things that happen from some other God. They feel that there's Hashem or some other name they use. That they feel the good things are from God. And the terrible things are in some other hands. The hands of some other force. Sitra Akhra. You could use different names for very Jewish, Jewish words also. Zohar's words. But really, 
It means that you're denying Hashem's oneness. We say Hashem Echad, God is one. God is one doesn't just mean that there's one superpower. It means whatever is happening, every arena, every dimension, everything that's going on, even when you're waiting on uh, the phone for uh, United Airlines to pick up the phone because because they want you want to change your ticket and you're being held on endlessly, and then and you say a word of sorry, um, uh, your phone has got disconnected. You know that it's it, you're always only one. Entities, only one beings, only Hashem, which is governing every single detail of existence. So the previous Rebbe said, I'm not scared of your pistol. You know, I'm not scared of your pistol. I'm not scared of your pistol because it's not, it's not you. I'm not in your hands. There's only one Hashem. There's Hashem who does the good. Hashem does the things which are, don't look good, which are also good. That's the meaning of looking at the snake, looking at the copper snake. What it mean, means is you're looking at what's happening to you in the world and you're realizing it's coming from Hashem and therefore it, it, it's a different kind of thing. Now, this will help us understand another very fascinating question that everybody has asked in their life and heard many answers before. And today you're going to hear an answer which is not only going to help you to understand the story, but will help you in, every, in, in life in a big way. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses is told by God to bring forth water from the rock, right? What happens before he brings water? Why is there no water? Yes? Because I think Moshe... He go and talk to them. Ah! Why he why he talk to them? Why he says kick the wall? Very good. Hey, there's too much competition. They're going to fire me if you keep on going. He says there, why fucking wrong? You are going to wrong Right. Very good. Excellent. So, so the story, we all know the story. God told Miriam passed away. After Miriam passed away, there is no more water. The water came to the Jewish people in the merit of Miriam. The manna bread came in the merit of, of uh, Moshe, merit of Moses. And the clouds of glory that protected us came in the merit of Aaron. And uh, when Miriam passed away, there's no more water. There was a rock that water was produced. Water miraculously came out of this rock, and it and it was a well, and it fell. And, and it was called it was called the well of Miriam. And it not only did it serve to um, to give everyone water, but also it, that was the mikvah that the women would use uh, during the time they were the forty years in the desert. They would use that the water from this rock to uh, to go to the mikvah and to, and, and to uh, beautify themselves. So the reason the rock uh, stopped producing water was because it only came to us in the merit of Miriam, and also when Miriam passed away, the, this rock is no longer functioning. So Moses and Aaron are in this period of mourning for their sister, and God says, go speak to the rock and cause water to come out of the rock again. Moses comes with Aaron, and they speak to the rock, and the rock does not produce water because they had to speak to a specific rock. It wasn't that rock. It was supposed to be a different rock. The rock had moved among other rocks. And Moses goes over and he hears the Jewish people say, oh, I know what he's going to do. There's some oasis somewhere. He's going, he knows where there's some oasis of water. He's going to pretend that he got water out of nowhere. And really, it's done, he knows exactly where he's going. And it's all a trick. So Moses says, oh, if I do a miracle now and the water comes out of the, out of the rock, if God does a miracle, they're still not going to believe. They're still going to say it, nothing happens. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, listen, you morim. Listen, you rebellious ones. Uh, or another interpretation of the word morim means you foolish ones. 
Will water come out of this rock? And he doesn't move to the other place where the original rock was. Instead, he takes another rock, he hits the rock, and water comes out. And God says, stop. No more. You will not enter the land of Israel. What did he do already? What was the big deal? He didn't hit, speak to the rock. He hit the rock. So what? Was it a cardinal sin? Did he, did he do idolatry? Did he do murder? He just hit the rock. And therefore, the Torah says, it's, it's imagine you're, you're on the last yard, right before the touchdown. And then at that last moment, you're doing everything right, you did so many good things. I mean, it, it challenges, it, there, there are many answers that are written by many commentaries throughout history, but all the answers don't really satisfy us. Because the question is, the fact there's so many answers tells you that this question is a big one. And it challenges everything we believe about Hashem. It challenges our belief in God's forgiveness. It challenges our belief in, in the ability to do Teshuvah, to return to God. It, this story really challenges our, our belief in, in God being a kind and merciful God. And, and, and what's going on? How could it be that Moses does this one thing and all of a sudden... So there are some commentaries wrote, or Achaim Akash wrote, I think, 13 answers. Other commentaries wrote four, many other answers. But the answers, you'll see, leave you wondering. One answer that's given is, Nachmanides says, Moses says, can we bring water out of this rock? It sounds like Moses is saying he's doing it himself. Since he says he's doing it himself, so it's, 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 it's not true. God's doing it, so he made it sound like he's doing it. Rashi says something else. Rashi says that if he would have spoken to the rock, and the rock would have produced the water, people would say, wow, look at this rock. This rock is just a, 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 an animate thing. It still listens to, to the word of God. How much more so should we listen to God? Because God will reward us. God will help us. For sure we should listen. That's what Rashi says. It doesn't really answer us. We're still wondering. It says in the Talmud that God is very strict, very careful with tzaddikim, very careful with the righteous, and He's very, very precise with them. He wants them to be, you know, to, to, to be to act in a really good way, and he, he expects more of them. But still, what's wrong? So there's a fascinating Sikta of Kana. Sikta of Kana says like this. It says in, earlier on in the Torah, in Shemot, that God asked Moses and Aaron to be the leaders of the Jewish people, and to speak to the Jewish people. And he gave them one commandment. But it doesn't say what the commandment was. Know what the commandment was? The one commandment that God told Moses they should, that he should be, take care of. You're the leader of the Jewish people. I have one rule for you. There's only one rule. There's one rule. What's the rule? Don't call my children morim. Don't call my children rebellious or foolish. They're going to challenge you. They're going to disagree with you. They're going to misbehave. But I have one thing I want you to do, Moses, and don't forget this rule. Do not call them Morim. Do not give them a name. Don't say anything negative about them. So when Moses said, Shimunaha Morim, listen, you rebellious ones, listen, you foolish ones. So God says, I told you, don't call my children Morim. Now, why is it so important? Nachmanides actually challenges his explanation. Maimonides says this, and Ebenezer says this. Nachmanides says, have a of him. doesn't make any sense. You're not allowed to rebuke somebody. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to say, say, you're supposed to tell people how to behave, especially Moses is entrusted by God to lead us. What's wrong with Kongas Morim? The answer is very simple. It's not a, pro, not, not a question of, of giving instruction or guidance or discipline. The question is, giving the child, or giving the one you're educating, something that will lift them up or get, put, making them define themselves and limit themselves based upon your, your name you gave that child. If, you, if a parent calls a child a name, God forbid, the child may live up to that name. May say, you know, I, I didn't think about myself that way before, but when I was in a camp, 
I was in camp in Detroit, Michigan in 1988, and I was a goody two-shoes. But I was a cool goody two-shoes. So, you we, have pictures? No. <laughs> so it was the first night of camp, and uh, the, the head counselors wanted to teach everybody to be, you know, to, to, to pay attention and to listen. So he says, everybody, when I, put up, when I put up two fingers, you put up two fingers and you're quiet. Is that clear? Like, okay. It's only like this, you know? I didn't put up two fingers like everybody else. It's like, you know, like this. He says, Mr. Levine. First of all, it's, not, it's Levin, not Levine. But he says, Mr. Levine, get out of the show. Whoa. What did I do? Get out of the show. He, he, he wanted to figure, find someone cool to make a message to everybody else. That, that, that cool is not acceptable. You got to listen. That was his point. It was a bad idea. Fortunately, he did it to me. And I and I and I was I was mortified. I was really I was really hurt. But another kid was if I'm the bad kid, then I have to lift up to my to my title. I lift up to my title. His, his father comes to this rabbi. And he says, Rabbi, I understand. I have two kids. One is a tzaddik, and one is a ganif. One is a wonderful guy. One's a ganif. And it's not he's a ganif now. I saw when he was five years old. He was going to be a ganif. <laughs> so the rabbi says, Of course, your son grew up the way you expected him to. The, the way you define your child, we you look at your child. That, that, that affects them. Does that mean that you're not supposed to give them rebuke? You have to give them rebuke. But the question is, how do you do it? A friend of mine, Nain Gazunt, his name is David Ben Rosa. Immediately. So one of the issues he was having was with, uh, with he, he was bleeding. And uh, they wrote, the family wrote a letter to the Rebbe, asked Rebbe for a bracha. They opened up the Rebbe's letters. They opened up, the, the Rebbe writes in this letter how the one time the previous Rebbe was, was visited by a shochet. Before him Kippur, it's customary to, to slaughter a chicken. And the one who, um, it's customary to halacha, after the chicken is slaughtered, you take earth and you cover the blood of the, of the uh, to mitzvah. To mitzvah to cover the blood of the chicken. So the previous Rebbe said, blood indicates gevura. Blood is, is red and it indicates our frustration, our anger, our vitality, but are more about our, 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 our discipline. And his blood has to be covered with soft earth, which means even when you have to use gevura, even when you have to use discipline, you have to cover that with kindness. You have to coat it with bitl, you have to coat it with... So just like in the story you were saying before about, this, about the snakes, to feel, maybe snakes, to feel it's Hashem, how much more so our children, when they hear a rebuke from us, they can feel that you're the snake. The children can feel feel that you're saying bad things about them, and you're the enemy, and you and they, and they and you look at them bad. Let me tell you three things. Let you guys go. There are three things you got to do in your home. Number one is, you know what the biggest gift you can give your children is? Say thank you to your wife. Your wife says thank you to you. Your children feel that your house is a positive house. We're good with their their their. Their, their excellence, their achievements is highlighted. You talk about the goodness of things that are going on, the wonderful things that are happening. Good has to, has to be flowing in the house. Good energy. People say good, good, positive things to each other. That's number one. Number two, in a house, a Jewish home, children should feel that their parents want to challenge them to do better than they're doing already. Their parents expect more of them. They challenge them. You do, and you get, a, you get a prize. You get a prize. And it, it may be eventually to win them out of the, off the prizes, but they should feel, I get something. The children should feel you want to build them. You want them to do more than they're doing already. You want to build them, you want to challenge them to do more than they're doing already. Mr. Bean has to go already. Give me two more minutes, I'll let you go. Two minutes, I'll let you go. So, 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 um, so speaking in a positive way, in a happy way, giving them challenges, and, uh, and uh, this really... The, Torah, the Talmud says 
You have to have two hands when you educate a child. You have to have your right hand and left hand. The right hand to bring them close and the left hand to push them away, meaning to give them discipline. The Torah says the right hand to bring them close. What is the meaning of the right, the right hand specifically? The right hand is a strong hand. That means as much discipline as you're going to give your child, you have to give four times as much positive, good words. They feel that, that you're, 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 you're believing them and you have to make a celebration. third thing I want to say is make a celebration. Try to achieve something? Ah! We're going to have, we're going to go to munchies to get ice cream because you achieved something. We're going to get Slurpees. We're going to have a special dinner because you just finished this parashan, chumash. Is a celebration. This gives it, it builds them. So there are, that's the, the issue with Moshe Rabbeinu. The issue Moshe Rabbeinu had was that he said to them a word, and Hashem says, no, you can't call my child the child. child. That, that's the moment you stop being the Jewish leader. Can I tell you one more thing? I know you're looking at your watch. One more thing I can tell you? Last thing. From Jai Salvechik. Salvechik, he said, there was a tzaddik, his name was Shimon HaTzaddik. Shimon HaTzaddik used to go into the Holy of Holies every, every Yom Kippur. One year he comes out of the Holy of Holies. It's the one time a year. They let the, let the, the holiest guy go to the holiest place on the holiest day. Kohen Gadol. He walks in, and he says, I'm not going to survive the year. They said, why are you going to survive the year? He said, because every time I walk in the Holy of Holies, I, a, a man dressed in white comes in with me, and he walks out with me. This year I walked in, and there was someone dressed in black, and he didn't come out with me. So, so Salvechik said, what's the meaning of the story? He was living at a very trying time, Shemun HaTzadik, a very trying time. In order to be able to lead the Jewish people, you have to see in them their good. If you see in them the negative, you can't lead them. You start, at the moment you're stopping a leader. They're, the black represents the negative. I know it's not a very, uh, uh, a, a, a very, a very common thing for uh, a Jewish leader to see negative in others, but in his time, because it was such, the Jewish people were really going through such hard times, it was hard to see the good in them. And also with parents, very, sometimes very hard times to see beneath the surface. But the moment that you can't see the good in your child, you know what you should do? Take a nap, go for a walk. You're not in a healthy place. You can't give them what they need to hear. Bottom line is, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't able to go into Yisrael then, but we're now entering the time of Geula, time of Mashiach, and the key to going towards Eretz Yisrael is saying wonderful things and compliments and highlighting the good of our children, telling them, you're such a wonderful child, you have such goodness, and you're so smart. This is not for you. This is not meant for you. You're more than that.